Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? What can I say? Garrett freaking Gunderson. Oh my gosh. OMG. We talked about so many things. I mean, this guy is just, I don't even know where to start. We talked about his books. We talked about writing. We talked about his newest book. We talked about how he came up in the world as an entrepreneur, how he got into professional stand-up comedy and what he's doing to promote his artistry right now. I mean, anyone that knows Garrett knows that this guy is just action-packed, so interesting, just a really, really like, like just a really inspiring person. And uh, the greatest thing about it is I made a new friend out of it. I, I, I just really appreciate my time. I spent with Garrett and you got to come and eavesdrop in on this conversation. You will not be disappointed. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to this episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mishazi. And boy, do we have a special guest. My man, Garrett Gunderson is in the house. What's up, Garrett? What's up, Darius? Thanks for having me, man. Oh, dude, I'm so pumped to have you on the show. I've been, I've been like... I got to have Garrett on the show. And I always see you doing stuff with my buddy, Justin Donald. I'm like, I got to have Garrett on the show. And then finally, I saw your new book came out. I'm like, I'm going to ask Garrett if he wants to be on the show. So, man, here we are. It's a hell yes. It was a hell yes. I definitely want to do this. So It's either a hell hell, hell no or hell yes, and it's a hell yes here. Uh, Do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and we'll get started? Let's do it. All right. So for listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. My man Garrett here is neither short of passion nor greatness. So um, I have a little backstory for the audience. As you guys all know, I talk about GOT and MIT a lot. And um, that's where I met Garrett. Uh, He was having a conversation with a past guest and mutual friend, uh, Kat Hoke. And you guys were like exchanging like, oh, do you know this person? I'm like, oh, those guys seem cool. And, And I overheard you talking about 
like Huntsville or Ogden Valley and Utah. And, and we had, we had a little bit of a conversation about that area. I used to own a home there. And, um, and I was like, man, that's a cool guy. And, you know, it was, it was real brief. It was real quick. I mean, we were kind of there for a couple of days together. And then you did a presentation. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he's a guy uh, who it was a Mormon guy who had a family, a bunch of entrepreneurs. What was his name again? Christensen. Yeah. Rich. Christensen. Yeah. Rich Christensen. So you guys did this really cool uh, um, presentation to our group and and I was like, man, that guy's got a really cool story. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it for the for the audience because they, they'll listen to it on the show the show right now. But but you and Rich did this really cool presentation around really around like building entrepreneurs as children, and and you start talking about your work around you know family banks and how to think about that. And I got your book, which uh, the, the, your one of your books because you've written many books. Uh, what would the Rockefellers do? Which I started reading, and I was like, this is a really interesting way to think about families and wealth. And and anyway, I left off that entire experience thinking, man, Garrett's an interesting guy and doing interesting things. Now, this is where I was like, that guy's living the freaking dream. About I don't know, two three years later, this is like 2018 or something like that. My buddy John Rule, also a former guest on the show, starts promoting that you're out there doing a stand-up comedy thing yeah. all around the United States, which ends up uh, did it? It gets like picked up as a by was it like Comedy Central or something like that or Netflix. I mean, it was like somebody called Multicom that's a distributor just signed a contract with them, and then they work with the streaming services. And what they do is they rent it for time periods to the different streaming services. So we'll find which ones end up taking it and, you know, seeing it out there in, in 2024. But, dude, it was it was the ride of a lifetime doing that. It was insane. Like insecurities that I had to face, but so much fun and turned out so damn good. And for how short of a time it took for it to come out like that, I'm, I'm excited to share. Like I have a formula that, that allowed me to do it. I want to learn all about that because I you don't know this about me, but I mean I'm, I'm a, a I'm a huge comedy like fan. B I've always had a secret desire to do literally what you did, and, and then and then I guess C I'm like man I can't do that because I have so much raunchy shit I want to talk about, but then it's going to be out there publicly. So I'm, I, I I want to dive into that. But before we go there, if you don't mind, I would love to do your formal bio, and then and then we love origin stories here at the greatness machine i know some of your origin stories which is which you have a really cool origin story like considering like kind of the world you came up in and what you're doing now um but if you don't mind i would love to do a quick bio and then we'll jump in your origin story does that work for you man sounds great all right so you guys garrett is a serial entrepreneur he built and exited an inc 5000 financial services business author of nine books including what we just mentioned what would the rockefellers do killing sacred cows we're gonna be talking about his new book money unmasked as well as he has a children's book uh, that we'll be talking about that's coming out. And dude, Comedy Central, or excuse me, Comedy Special, The American Ream, produced by Emmy winner Martin Colner. I mean, dude, you're just, I, I meant when I said it, like, like, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, you kind of get like, I guess me pigeonholed. It's like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a, I'm a wealth guy. I'm an author. And then, you know, like sometimes people will do like, yeah, I'm a thought leader. So they'll write the book and it's about their business. It helps drive some lead gen. But like you want to throw a curveball, then it's like, ah, I'll go do a stamp comedy tour. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, this is a man of my own heart, like someone that's out there just like living his true self. But I'd love, I mean, I'm assuming you didn't just like wake up one day when you're five years old saying, I'm going to go do all this stuff. You know, give us a little bit of the origin story, Garrett, if you don't mind. Well, and I'm going to tie in some comedy, the origin story, because people are like, hey, like what made you want to do comedy? Well, dude, I live in Utah. So it's funny because uh, someone told me to Google my stuff yesterday and because they were changing some you know, work with SEO. And it still says Garrett Gunshin LDS. Like people want to know, am I Mormon? Because I live in Utah. 
and ironically, like half of my family is Mormon, like my dad's side and okay. Mormon royalty. My great, great, great grandfather was president of the Mormon church. Right. Whoa. So that's kind of right. crazy. The other side of my family, I have this great grandfather that came over from Italy, hardcore Catholic, like seven day a week, go pray every morning, <laughs> run the bingo, you know, like volunteer for everything, like just like couldn't be different from a religious standpoint other than they were both really religious. But the one thing that like transcended religion for my family was comedy. Cause like I could be a little kid and repeat my uncle's jokes and not really get in trouble, even though normally that would be <laughs> like, no, you could never say that. Right. And even my grandma, my great grandma, my, my, my grandma died just this year, 91 years old. But the last time I saw her, it was the same thing every time. Are you going to tell me your jokes? And dude, my Mormon grandma wanted me to tell the dirtiest, most inappropriate stuff. I wouldn't even say that shit from stage, Darius. And and like some of the family would be like, okay, here goes Gary with these jokes again. Because like I would show up to the family party and she'd just be like, are you going to tell your jokes now? And she wanted the same inappropriate stuff ending in the word twat, you know, just the worst. Yeah, you name it. And uh, like so comedy always felt like love. Because the uncles on the Mormon side were hilarious and dirty. And the uncles on the Catholic side, hilarious and dirty. But like, I still felt a little bit stifled growing up. Like I shouldn't, you know, like I should be a good boy and I want to earn their respect and their love. And so even when I started doing comedy, I was nervous to just be fully expressed. And I just, yeah. I'll talk a little more origin here in a minute. But when I finished my first comedy special, The American Ream, I did it kind of backwards. I did the comedy special and then I toured with that special. And it was the final like two nights that I was headlining here locally. I was ending the tour here locally. It was the second uh, part of the tour that I'd done here in Utah. And so it's a Friday night, I'm headlining and I'm doing my American Ream comedy set. And I just got like bored for the first time in comedy. Like I was on wow. stage. I wasn't killing it because I was not like, here's a rule. If you're in your head and not with the crowd, it's never funny. Like if you got to uh -huh. just say everything on your mind and invite them in. Otherwise there's a disconnect. So like, it just was an okay set, you know, like I had some people laughing, but as, as I look, I was like, ah, it wasn't my best. So the next night I'm like, I'm not going to do any of my normal jokes. I'm just going to get there and talk about how I grew up. I'm going to talk about my life and I'm just going to talk about real stories I think are funny. And it was scary as hell, dude, like, cause I didn't have a set, right? Like I'm just going up mm. there and I invited friends and family. My parents were there. They brought some friends. My wife was in the front row, you know, and there was a, a woman that went both nights and she said the first night she goes, it was good. She goes the second night though, I felt like I was in your family room and you're just like sharing these stories. And it wasn't like the most last per minute I had, but people were with me the whole time. And I did some crowd work and it was like so healing because my dad who used to be Mormon, I'm just making fun of Mormonism and he's laughing, right? And I'm like, oh, this is fun. And it just kind of like helped me heal um, yeah. uh, from some of that kind of like feeling stifled, feeling censored. Um, but yeah, like comedy feels like family to me. It feels like love. It feels like the, the best times, the family parties. We always look forward to it, dude. Every year around Christmas, we do the family roast. You get to draw someone's name in our family and then you get to roast them. <laughs> And, and the thing is, like a lot of the time people do videos, they'll do like a hoarders episode or like I'll just do a straight normal roast where I get up and I just like joke about the person, you know, and dude, we're laughing hysterically and nobody's left yet. Nobody's been 
overly upset, but you know it's going to be a good deal. They're like, I hope you don't get offended. I'm like, oh, damn, what are we about to go through and hear, you know? That's amazing. I love the family roast. That's, I'm, you know, I'm going to, to Napa. My wife's family, they have a place in Napa, and we're doing this big thing in Napa this year with like whole family, and they're trying to do all this, like, let's do karaoke night. I'm going to, I think I'm going to do the family roast. I'm going to, could you have to tell, do you have to give them a heads up so they can prepare? So what, yeah, what we did was we drew names and like, and then, and, and sometimes when we say draw names, sometimes I'm like, God, oh, dude, I want my sister because I know. <laughs> A perfect thing, right? So you kind of cheat the name in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. my little sister is super funny. So she always does videos. She did like a day in the life of Garrett once, and it was just hysterical. It was her husband getting up in the morning to work out, but he's just the, doing the dumbest stuff. And they're, quote, they're like <laughs> quoting my books, but making it dumb quotes like the, the, the keys to success is having all the keys. Garrett Gunderson, you know, just like. Uh. Just making fun of like once my wife said my wife said the dumbest thing we were on like the married game on a cruise right and and they're like what does Garrett do to put you in the mood she's like well we start playing cribbage which is the oldest man caught game in the world so my sister's showing a picture like a video of me playing cribbage with my wife her getting turned on it's just so much just make fun of each other the entire time and the one year we didn't do it I just roasted the whole family I just went oh. up with a roast and I roasted everybody a little bit in the whole family. Oh. And this will even get my kids to like forget about their friends. They want to come hang out here. And we've even included them in the roast now. And so, yeah, I mean, I know that this is supposed to be origin story. And here I am talking oh. about comedy. But it's like this is the thing is I just love having a good time. I love being playful. Yeah. And and like comedy is that thing that reminds me to be playful and enjoy life along the way. And when we're laughing, we're present. We're in the moment. We're not worried about the past or concerned about the future. We're just with someone in this like spontaneous reaction. It's fascinating. And when I would go on stage sometimes, like it's me and a mic in a crowd. How insane is this? This is awesome. I just get to go out there and I get to say things. And when they react, I get to feel that each moment. Right. And it's just like this. It's a really cool connection. It's a really special thing. And I was scared as hell to do it the first time I got up on stage, man. Like, so uh, scared. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. From canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin-D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. I'm done. So, so I want to, I, I'm going to go out of order. So let's talk about comedy some more because I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I I was, you got me. I'm telling you, this is this is like I listen. I've been wanting to I've been wanting to go on stage and do this for I'm 45 years old I'm for for I don't know 50, 30 years and I just haven't done it. And, seven people on a comedy stage for the first time I've ever been on. So you're talking to the right person. Oh. I put people on a comedy stage that had never been, and you know what? Most of them did great. Most of them did really good. So so did you get a coach to do this for the first time? Did you hire a coach? Did you just write your own thing? Like tell us about the first experience because that's where I'm I'm telling you, I'm like right. a guy that dies in head first on everything. And okay. I'm like, uh, I just I st- keep stopping myself from doing it. Well, if you want like the first time that I did comedy, I'll go there and then I'll give when I when I decided to do it. So we're in a black tie formal financial event at a four seasons, and there's a jazz band playing, and I'm drinking tequila. And I'd been telling jokes just in the small group and they were at my table. I'm like, dude, they're like, that was funny. You should get up when the band's done and just go tell some jokes in the room. So the band completes at a formal financial function. And I'm drunk enough that I go up there and get on the microphone. My wife is immediately embarrassed and leaves the room. Just leaves <laughs> and like hopes that it's going to end soon because I'm embarrassing her. And it's like, I'm definitely toned up because I'm too drunk. I'm telling jokes that are like a little racy, not the best. Like, it's just half the crowd is like totally flabbergasted and offended. And half of them are laughing hysterically because they just can't believe that I'm up there doing it. Like, I remember this one woman after me, like, I wonder what you were like as a kid. That's just fascinating that you just, and I mean, it's just like not appropriate at all, at all. And so my wife was like, hey, like every time I'm like, I think I should do comedy. She's like, I don't think you're as funny as you think you are. I'm like, babe. When I'm speaking, people laugh all the time. She's like, you're making them money. They're being nice, right? So no. she made this mistake. We're at a baseball game. And I'm telling jokes because this is a slow game. And she's like, that's hilarious. Where'd you, where'd you hear that? I'm like, from my own brain. So when she said, I think she didn't say hilarious. I think she said kind of funny. And I yeah. heard it as hilarious or maybe comedic God. And so then my buddy Keith introduces me that week when I'm speaking at his event as hilarious. And I'm like, Dude, I'm giving a 40-minute financial talk. 
So I just get up on stage and I tell some jokes and they laugh. And so I immediately call this guy that was, his name's Marcus. He was the runner up on last comic standing. I okay. said, dude, can you come to my office tomorrow at five? He's like, sure. Why? I'm like, I have a set. I, I look like Jesus, but I don't have his powers. I think I can write a whole set on that. And he's like, all right. So we sat there and my youngest son was sitting there laughing hysterically the whole time, spent two hours. And he, and he, he's the local comedian that's always headlining. So he's like, all right, man, let's go do this Wednesday. I'll get you up on stage. So I just invited six rows of friends. So I couldn't back out and oh. I got up there. And, and by the way, the night before I'm testing the jokes on my wife and she's like, I don't think those are ready. I think you might want to go back and work on those. So I did. I, I worked. I rehearsed. I, I talked to Marcus. I called some of my other buddies. Like I just, I believe as a comedian, I try to bomb off stage as much as possible so that yeah. when I'm off stage, I'm performing and it's and it's good. It doesn't work 100% of the time, but I feel like some comedians, they just try their material for the first time on a comedy stage. I'm more like, I created a comedy uh, room in my basement and I would just invite people over and test stuff out that way. You know? Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's crazy, man. And so, um, I, do you feel like when you write jokes, is it, is it uh, like, for me, I feel like a big part of the thing I, I've been doing this, by the way, I've been writing jokes in my phone for like three years now. And I, yeah. I have like, like 30 of them, right? And they're not jokes. They're more, me, they're jokes. They're observations, right? A lot of mine's around like hypocrisies I see in the world and like how I think they're funny, right? So I just, you know, everyone has their own like style and, and perspective. I think, I think, I think comedians are not all, but many are some of the smartest people on earth because they're just seeing, they're, they're pointing out these like, these things that are so obvious that are just that are absurd, you know? And so for me, that's, that's where a lot of my stuff comes from that. And, and, and I, a lot of the feedback you're saying I get too. like, my wife does not think I'm funny at all, but, but like, I'm like, she, I like my, it's funny is I'd love to hear this about you, but I'm going to talk about me for a second is I was always like, man, my superpower is getting people to laugh. Like I can get, I mean, I can get people. To, I grew up similar to yourself in a family where like, I would see my, my dad was really funny. He's Persian though. Right. And his English wasn't very good. So his American humor wasn't that great, but I'd watch him and his buddies like drinking whiskey and him having them on the floor crying, like laughing, like they're laughing so hard. They're crying. I remember this is like some of my best memories. My dad passed away when I was 22. My best memories of my dad is him and his friends laughing and him making people laugh till they cried. And so, and I just think that's part of our family. Like, like yourself, we have a lot of like, we're funny and dark humor and we say funny shit and we rip on each other. And so um, I say all that because when I met my wife, I was like, or when I would, would date girls, I'm like, this is my superpower. This is how I get, this is how I get laid is I get girls to laugh. And then like, they want to like interact with me. And my wife was the first woman I ever met that didn't think I was fucking funny. <laughs> and funny. just, yeah. Make you laugh before this is over. Or I, I can't. Garrett, I can on one hand how many times I've made my wife laugh. It's like she looks at me sideways like, are you fucking serious, guy? Like, did you seriously say that? And I'm like, yeah, it, I did. <laughs> so I, did your wife think you're funny? Because my wife does not think I'm funny. Actually, she does, even though, like, she was scared of me going up on stage because of, of that experience of the Four Seasons. But the, the, when I said I did, like, the one night on my final headline of the first tour, and then the next night, I just did new material. Well, she was in the front row with her friend, who she says is the funniest person on the planet. And I'm like, that's such hurtful shit. And they were <laughs> laughing at each other while I was on stage. And I was like, you're doing this shit. This is like you're cheating in front of me. Like, and we just oh. had this interaction. But in the comedy special, I'll send it to you. Like, 
there's a moment that I just tell this story that I've never told on stage about the first, I, I took Viagra once in Paris and I was talking about it and it was about my wife and she's in the front row and I go, and she's right here and she's laughing hysterically. So we have it on camera, how hard she's laughing, which was great. And, you know, cause I was, I just, that night, it was the second show. I start telling these stories about um, how my wife was like naive when I met her. She's like going, going on spring break and, and I'm like, cool, well, here's some money. She's like, I don't need any money. I'm like, why not? She's like, well, like guys are super nice. They'll give you drinks for free. I'm like, for yeah. free? Like, I'm like, mm. you're scaring the hell out of me for free. You know, that's not how that works. You no. know? And yeah. So I'm just like telling these stories because I felt like the first show was good and in the bag. And we end up using all these, a lot of these stories in the second show because it was just like really loose and in the moment, which gave me enough confidence that when I went that second day of the, of the you know, final part of the first tour, I was like just telling these stories about I met my wife and, uh, you know, like how that happened. And then I, the day I knew I was in love with her, I went in to visit her at a Kmart. I'm like, because white trash recognize white trash. You know, like I think they're just moments that I'm saying for the first time in that comedy. And now it's like part of something that we kind of have in our family. So, yeah, man, I mean, I have to work harder to make my wife laugh for sure. But like even the comedy special, my 13 year old, he was 13 at the time, opened for me at the special. And he no crushed in front of like 500 people or whatever it what? was. Like just crushed it and was like, just cold blooded. And so that was really cool. My older son, he would sit and watch it anytime we're editing it, sat through the show, loved it, would want to go see my show. So like it really brought our family together. And after being in financial business for such a long time, it was a nice five month hiatus. Now my comedy is a lot around money because bro, I'm not right. the funniest comedian out there, but I'm the damn funniest money comedian out there because there <laughs> really isn't any. So I was like, I'll just go to that category of one, you know? Yeah. I, I love that. So Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um... You know, it's, it's funny, like, did you feel like this was a, I mean, obviously, I mean, for me, even I'll say like, I was, I, I, when I was 20, 22 years old, I was like, I, I seriously was like, I'm going to go in and start doing improv. And so I started looking at there's a uh, improv troupe Groundlings in LA. And I was like, I should go do that. I'm like, no, I want to make money. And I'm like, dude, stand-up comedians are poor. And they like, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's changing now because of like, you know, creator, the creator world and Patreon and people like Andrew Schultz who are taking over and, you know, doing, promoting themselves, like yeah. social media is changing the game for this. But like when we were, you know, I'm 45, I think we're similar in age. Um, yeah, and, right. So like when we were growing up, it was like, yeah, unless you're Eddie Murphy, like you're poor or Chris Rock, you're poor, you know, right. like, like most stand-up comedians struggled hard. Right. And they would just go around touring. And I was like, that looks like, that looks like a miserable life. Like I'm, I want to make money. And I'm an entrepreneur, so I was, and I have entrepreneurism in my blood, so I'm like, I'm just gonna go do that. For, was like, it, was it twenty five grand to go do comedy for financial firms? Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's, that's different, right? Much, that's, that's crazy. And I'm not on the road all the time like comedians, right? Like I just right. decided, I decided like, hey, I'm gonna when I was rehearsing, it was Monday through Friday, five p.m. at my house till six p.m. Some people were in person, some people were on Zoom. And I rehearsed five days a week 
Because then at 6 p.m. I'm with my family. I'm not at some comedy club trying to get three minutes on a stage. Now, I did some comedy clubs because, you know, I was connected here in the local clubs. And, and the and the, you know, Wise Guys owner, Keith, was super supportive. So he put me up on stage and had me open for other comedians, which was helpful. But, man, like, I, I agree. Like, I didn't want to be on the road 24-7 in dingy clubs by myself or, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I did one of those tours and was like, okay. So my second tour, I brought in one of my buddies who's super funny comedian and just filmed his first special. And we did the tour together. So we just yeah. both headlined and it was like a lot more fun. And we did fewer cities and, you know, and sometimes when I do like a corporate gig, which is awesome because I just walk out, like I did one at the Chelsea theater and the Cosmo in Vegas, beautiful theater. And I walked out and I roasted this dude. That's a billionaire <laughs> in front of his whole audience. It was, that's my favorite thing is roasting people. Dude. That is where I'm best at uh, comedy is to roast someone. That's what I love. Uh, to do. I actually, I kind of roasted Justin Donald just a touch. Uh, they wanted me just to do a little bit. And so it's just, I just did one joke alone and they were all filming. They knew it was coming when he was interviewing me just a few weeks ago. What was your Justin Donald joke? I, 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 I keep, I'm well, I actually like, like going to talk to him today. So I want to hear it. I just said, Hey, look, Justin, man, it's, it's, you know, now that I've been getting my comedy special out there and working on this unscripted reality series, like I got a little bit connected in Hollywood and I'm here to tell you, like, We've been working on a project. They want to do something with Lifestyle Investor. Like, they think that is a great documentary and movie. The problem is the person that was going to play you just died this year. Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> he does have a little Pee Wee in him. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Rubens Donald. I love it. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him. Donald. <laughs> that's that's so amazing. Paul Rubens is totally Justin Donald. <laughs> you can't even see it, right? Like you see it, you're like, dude, that is it. That is really like word of the day worthy. <laughs> red red bow tie, word of the day. I love it, man. Um, so did you like tell us a little bit? But let's 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 uh make a right turn and go into entrepreneurism. So you, I I know I want to give a little bit of your background because you have a pretty interesting like background background and how you got into entrepreneurism and, and getting into money. And I know, and then I want to come back to, 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 to comedy. Cause I think that that's where you're at right now. Yeah. Money, money plagued my family. I mean, money was really difficult for my ancestors. Like my, you know, like on the Gunderson side, half of them were from Norway. The other half were from Ireland. And there's the whole family. I mean, Ireland is known for like struggle, right. And, yeah. and starving. And my great grandfather on the Aquino side, he, my mom's side, he was in uh, Southern Italy and I wouldn't visit that place that he was from. And I'm like, dude, there's nothing there. There wasn't even a restaurant. So he had to leave that place um, in order to provide for his family. But the problem is like, they just bought into this scarcity. Like it was all about scrimping and sacrificing and delaying yeah. and like holding on to everything you've got. And it was like always stressful for them. And you could feel that, you know, like my great aunt applied for welfare and they found she had $550,000 in her savings account because she never ever spent any money. She lived poor, even though she had at that time, that was a decent amount of cash, right? So, so I came from kind of a family that was very blue collar. My dad was a coal miner, my grandfather's, my great grandfather. And, you know, so mines go on strike and, you know, like dude, coal mines, I've never even been in one. My, my dad wouldn't even let me go. He's like, nah, man, like you just move on. Don't even, you know, put that out of, out of sight, out of mind. It's not a good life. Um, so I respect that like my family was really there for me to help me build this business when I was 15. I was playing sports, but I want to make money. So I helped my dad clean the coal mining vehicles for the surface you know, vehicles when the bosses would come in. My mm -hmm. mom worked at a credit union and I would, I would clean the repossessed vehicles so they could sell them for a little bit more. 
And so I started this car detailing business. And that's where I learned about balance sheets and income statements. And that's where I just learned about basic financials and, you know, customer service. And I had this kind of part-time business that I even had employees when I blew up my knee in basketball. So I was making money even when I was sitting on the couch and trying to get healed. And so I wanted to, I wanted to like be successful. And in my mind as a teenager, that meant being a millionaire. And I won $5,000 for being the young entrepreneur of the year. And I wanted to take and invest that money so I could kind of like get to the what I thought was a big city of Salt Lake City because I grew up in East Carb until third grade. There was mm -hmm. uh, 5,000 people there at its peak um, when two cops, now there's 1,000 people and five cops. So it's definitely going in the wrong direction, you know? Um, <laughs> and then the town price I lived in from there probably has like 12,000 people very much around the coal mining world. And so uh, I wanted to invest this money, didn't really know how to do it. And that led to getting internships when I was a teenager, like I was 18, 19, when I started in a financial services business. And so I, I've been doing it for basically a quarter of a century now. And uh, definitely just always kind of understood the concept of money where a lot of people struggle with that. And I also made some mistakes early on by putting my clients in you know highly speculative, risky mutual funds and investments that in the year 2000, when the market went down, I had to tell them I didn't know what I was doing. And that's mm -hmm. when I, my real research began. I, I started to look into, you know, what I write about and what would Rockefellers do, which is family offices and saving people on tax and becoming more efficient with their money so they can keep more of what they make and having them invest back in themselves. And, you know, it was it was a getting financial organization. So I went down a road of not doing assets under management and selling funds. I went down a road of being a consultant that got paid and helped organize their finances and bring that family office concept of having all your financial team under one roof to kind of the upper middle class and some of the middle class, which was heavily neglected um, because everybody just chases the money and the wealth. Yeah, it's so interesting, man. You're going to appreciate. So the private equity business I'm sorry right now is doing my making minority stake investments in RIAs. That's my new business. So we get, we take that offline, but that, that's, that's, I, and I'm new to that world. I come from the uh, lending, financial lending world. And so this is a, a new world for me, but, but it's interesting that as you get into that and you kind of touched on it earlier, there's this big idea, uh, a big idea, a big promotion, and I guess uh, ethos around fiduciary, right? Having that fiduciary responsibility, protecting people's money. And so for you, it sounds like you moved into this world of really like helping people think of it from a more strategic perspective, not just being your run of the mill financial advisor, putting someone in a you know distributed portfolio of, e well, now it would be ETFs, back then would have been right. mutual funds. Did you um, like you've obviously done really well in that world and become a thought leader in that world. Like I said, I met you when you were promoting your book, working with um, Rich Christensen um, uh, around the, the Rockefellers, excuse me, what would the Rockefellers do? Um, you've written a lot of books though. Was it, was it for you the perspective of like, Hey, like, did you always have that in you, the, the thought leadership or was that like more of a, a means to an end as far as like lead gen? How did you think of the book writing? What, what, what was that for you? I was scared to write initially. Like, I, I wanted to write my first book because I thought it would make me be cool. Like back in, you know, I was in my early twenties, like, man, if I wrote a book, that would mean I'm, I'm, uh, you know, people would listen to me more or they would think I'm awesome. And so it was like this ego thing that I only wrote 72 pages in two years. And I just did, there wasn't enough purpose to it. And I was afraid. Mm. I was like, is this grammatically correct? And am I a good writer? I hadn't done much of it. And then I found one of our clients that had been through all of our content and said, hey, I'll, I'll ghostwrite the book for you. Hmm. And so the first book, Killing Sacred Cows, was ghostwritten by him. 
I did a lot of editing and we did a lot of rewrite and I did a lot of learning. But now if we fast forward to Money Unmasked, or I have a book that we haven't even, that is in the queue called Life After Debt. And it's using humor to teach finance 101. And like hmm. I wrote every word of that book. I wrote every word in Money Unmasked. I'm sure the editors kind of had amazing editors, but like I fell in love with the process of writing. Like when I'm when we're done with this, I'll be writing a blog. Um, personally, I won't use any tools like ChatGPT because it comes from my soul and comes from the lessons that I really learned, and I'm I'm enjoying the process. Someone the other day said, "Hey, do you ever use ChatGPT to write jokes?" I'm like, "Do you ever use ChatGPT to fuck your wife?" I mean, why would I take the very process that I enjoy so much and delegate it to AI? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, like this is so. I love. I fell in love with writing. Like, I love to write. It's one of my favorite things to do. And when I get into a flow of writing, like I've written a theatrical keynote um, that's in that we're not even talking about. I like to sit down and write comedy. And, and then, you know, test that out. And then sometimes it's something written, sometimes it's just in the moment, but I really fell in love with that process. And so as you're talking about passion, I'm really passionate about creating content. That's yeah. what I love to do because it allows, it allows me to learn my own lessons in it. It allows me to be an inquiry to start discovering things. And it allows me to process emotions that might otherwise be dormant and betray me sometime in the future because I didn't fully learn or experience a lesson. And so my writing now versus my writing back in the day, it used to be pretty academic. I feel like it's more vulnerable, but still specific. Like Money Unmasked has more personality to it than Killing Sacred Cows, my New York Times bestseller than my first book. But it does have that those wealth frameworks and that, that teeth to it. So there's nuts and bolts instead of just philosophy because Killing Sacred Cows was academic, but a little too philosophical in its academia. So it, I've learned, but I'm still proud of those first books because... It's pretty amazing to write a first book and hit New York Times. And, you know, I looked at it uh, this year. We still sold like 2000 copies of that book and it's that's 15 crazy. years old. So that's pretty awesome because I'm not talking about or promoting it. Right. But, uh, yeah. but like, I love when people actually read the book and enjoy the work. And like, you know, I just had someone told me they're reading Money Unmasked in Justin's group. And it was like, man, I was crying. I was crying as mm -hmm. I read. I was like, yeah, man, there's more there's more realness to it. And like it's really helped me be more articulate. And it's helped me love life more. That's cool, man. I want to check. The, uh, well, I want to talk about the book. It's funny. Um, I was talk and and forgive me. I, I actually haven't read your your work in it, so I'm going to. Except I did read what would the Rockefellers do, and I did like I like that book. That was I thought it was a great book, and it was good for me at the moment. And I, and I I'm a big reader, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna start picking up more of your books. Um, and, I, and by the way, I just rewrote what would the Rockefellers do. It should come out uh, February of 2024. It's going to be an expanded version, focused more on legacy, on the family legacy rings, and the family constitution, and the family office, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the rewrite because I, refer, I refer that book to a lot of people, just so you know, um, because I think a lot of people have a tough time trying to figure out how, how to think of money in the next generation, especially, you know, I, I, t I'm in Tiger 21 with Justin. So yeah. that's a big conversation there. So I, I've referred that book to a lot of people there. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think like what's interesting about and what even what you're talking about, I wrote a book right after I met you called uh, the core value equation, which is how do you operationalize values in the business. And, and uh, when I was going through the process of deciding how to write the book, and this speaks to what you just said, I, I met with, um, with Tucker Max, who, who, who owned Scribe right. at the time. And he, he was referred to me by John Rowland. John Rowland's name keeps coming up in this episode. Yeah, by the way, so. Tucker's, Tucker's editing my life after debt book. I'm just, I no haven't way. done 
first rounds that he's requested. So it's, I, it's I love him, man. He he's a funny fucker, and and he's in, and he's just you know. He, I mean, anyone that that's like goes without saying. You read any of his books, he's a funny funny dude. Yeah. Um, but I met yeah, him through John. Interesting. Tell Garrett to tell a joke um, because comedians love when you just put them on the spot. And when people start doing that to me, I would roast Tucker every time that happened. <laughs> what because I, I knew he was behind it. So oh, that's amazing. I, that I, I would pay money to watch that. Um, oh God, he's so roastable. He's so roastable. Oh, oh, it's, it's, he's dude. He's so quirky, and he's so has such a strong personality that it's yes. like it's just it's there. You're like. It's- where yeah. do I be, where do I begin, Tucker? You know, um, and so so yeah, he's he's a funny fucker, man. I love him. And so, um, but he sat down with me. He said, he said, why you want to write the book? And you know, and and he said, well, and where we landed was, I said, look, man, I I use ghostwriters sometimes to do um like PR stuff for me. They'll write like press releases, and every time I make them rewrite the whole thing because I hate the way that I hate it doesn't sound like me when they're writing as me. I said, that's not how he said well, you got to write your own book then. And so I did a thing that, that they used to do at Scribe called Guided Author, where you write your own book, and they it's kind of like minus the ghostwriter. They have an editor, essentially. And for me, I, I, their thing was, hey, you got to write 250 words a day. And I just sat there. Dude, I was cranking out 2,000 words a day. And, and so for me, uh, to your point, I feel like it's pretty cathartic. Like, I like writing. I like, I like the way I write. I like the tone in my, where, when I write. So I hear what you're saying. When you start thinking about, I mean, so is this something for, for you? And so for me, the issue I ran into is I'm like, look, I know I got 10 more books in my head, but I just can't get motivated to like write the next book. So what, what is, are you always sketching out outlines and then doing it? Like, what's your process of writing the next book? So I, I was taught this outline process by my, uh, my, my first book promoter and literary agent, which is a 20 minute process where you take 60 seconds, you brainstorm the title, you take three minutes, you brainstorm the chapters, you take seven minutes and talk about four points to each chapter. And then you take another seven minutes and reorganize the whole thing. And so I like to kind of start like that's the really practical how I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't planning on writing life after debt. Um, but what happened was I wrote the comedy special. There's a lot of it around money. And there was these other topics where I was like, hey, there's this, oh, the places you'll go that people get from give to graduates, right? When it's like a Dr. Seuss book giving to high school graduates. I'm like, what if we could give kids this book that they would actually laugh at, but learn from using entertainment as a gateway to transformation? I'll have fun writing it. And I wasn't really planning on having it written last year, but then I got COVID and my wife's like, don't give us COVID, go up to the cabin. And I, it was asymptomatic. So I just went up to the cabin and I spent a whole week just rewriting this thing that I'd been tinkering with on just a few, like when I had like a weekend writing day and I'll just write, it was just for fun. So I haven't quite finished that book because it's going to take a bit of, you know, with Tucker editing, he's like, Hey, I need you to do this, that, and the other. And this children's book and money unmasked has kind of gone in front of it and writing the blog. So I always have like right now on my computer, I probably have like seven or eight blogs that are just minimized right now. And I'll just start writing and one of them will take off. One of them will be the one that calls to me and I'll finish out. Other ones, I might start and be like, this isn't calling to me, so I'll just minimize it and let it go for a minute. So this afternoon, mm. I'll, I'll write for uh, probably a couple hours. I usually write best first thing in the morning, but I do I do love just like writing, and then I'll, I'll have a process where I'm like, well, what does this mean to the reader? And what mm. questions, if I pose to them, will help them apply this in a way that, that whether this was the very most important topic to them or not, helps them be better off. And so, you know, when I'm writing, I'm talking about, structures of like of, of context that we get stuck in in society 
how we can view it from outside of that context, what kind of where that becomes permanent in people's minds because they're indoctrinated, and then how we can see past that and through that so we live a better life. You can kind of see that formula, even though I might be talking about a various number of topics of, you mm. know, I, and I write about like the time I got sued and went to court, you know, kind of winning, but dude, that was mm. a stressful last time. And so like to really write about that and where, where I had, where I could take responsibility of being in that situation. Cause I had a client that was getting sued and they were like, they were just stifled. They didn't know what to do. And I'm like, I could write and then just share it generically on my site because I'm sure there's other people that are afraid of this kind of stuff. And that was a fascinating experience. And I learned another third that I didn't learn during the experience by simply writing about it. I mean, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So what um, so right now, like t- talk to talk about money on mass a little bit. What's that book about? Like, like, give us some color there for readers. Obviously, you're an expert in money. You do a lot around money. You love to talk about money. And that's uh, your jokes are about money. The business that you sold was around money. But talk about money on mass a little bit. That book's the longest project I've ever worked on. I mean, you know, I, it just took a long time because in 2008, I was really clear that I just was hoping someone else really had a good way to dissect how we each viewed money differently, what our subconscious beliefs were. I was calling it a persona, a money persona. And I would research and everything was really rudimentary that I found like, oh, saver, spender, giver, you know, a master. Like, and I, and I use some of that in some of the books, like, uh, what would the Rockefellers do? Um, but I was like, man, what is it like that? Why do people damage themselves when it comes to money? And why do some people succeed? And so I found out really through research, there's a shadow persona that we have or a winning persona. And there's mm. different indicators, but most people don't see those indicators. So they get trapped unintentionally, where if they simply could see them, they could make different choices. And then they can understand what it's like to work with the other money personas, because this is where conflict arises is when people view money differently. And so it took a long time just to get the basics of what those money personas were. Almost 10 years, right? Of wow. research and data and, and connections and talking with people, some formal, some informal. And then I really started to, to take the time to write. And at first I only knew the shadow personas. I just call them money personas, but I'm like, all four of these are shadow. Like there's gotta be a flip side winning, right? So, so the book really begins with like, our relationship to money is merely a reflection of the relationship we have to ourselves. Mm. And anywhere where we haven't resolved some of those misnomers, that pain or hurt or childhood situations that we never truly healed from or learned from, it's going to sabotage us financially. And then we put a lot of weight on money to make us happy. And, and the reality is when it comes to the basics, it does make us happier for sure on the basics. If you're not getting enough food, if you don't have shelter, like money is going to provide that for you. You're going to have a a better situation. But the data shows once we get up to a higher number, it's all over the board. Because if you don't have passion and purpose, you're going to find that happiness, no matter how much money you have, can be very, uh, you know, evasive. Um, And so what I want to do is get people to really be clear about what their money personas were. And then once we have that platform, understand how they go about creating. So there's a chapter called Cycle of Creation. And it's about mm. how do you prop your ideas up front before investing by generating revenue from day one by things that are consistent with who you are versus copying what someone else does. Or yeah. where can we plug financial leaks so you have more money to put back into your life? So it's not just about future, your retirement plans. It's about 
quality of life today. It's about skill sets that help you to be more productive and it's about more cash flow. So it's a, it's a, it's really, uh, I had people say that it should have been three books and probably should have been because we went from 80,000 words down to 40,000 words. It took a long time to write and rewrite and learn because I, I wrote about it, but the final message in this is what we're really looking for in the end is love. That's what we really want is to express yeah. love and to feel love. And because we're so protective of ourselves and so concerned about what our worth is based upon our money, most people stifle and, and diminish their love. And so like the final chapter is like a completely different chapter than what I've really seen in other financial books. And that's why I'm, I'm willing to dedicate the next 20 years of my life to getting this book in people's hands and their hearts and their heads where other books, you know, I haven't quite put that kind of energy after the writing was done, but I think it's that important. I love that, man. Last, so last year I was on, um, I started reading a lot of books, uh, two years ago and, um, I have a guy, a, a, a CEO that I advised that he was on a reading kick and got me into it. And I was a guy that would always refer books to people, but I'd never read them, <laughs> which is like a running joke with my friends. They're like, they're like, Terry, did you actually read that book? I'm like, no, but I heard it's good. Um, and then I got in, I started reading. And so I, I, I read um, 35 books last year. Um, read be and now they make fun of me because I listen to books. So like, did you read it or listen? I'm like, go fuck yourself. Okay. Like I ingested the book. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to Elon Musk and Neuralink so I could just download all that shit and I don't even need to like spend the time reading it, but or listening to it rather. And so this year I did 52 books. Um in I was the goal was 52 books in 52 weeks. But last year I was doing I exited my company. I had like a lot of trauma around money. And and so I read a bunch of books on money. And that book that you just described was the book I would have read last year because I read Psychology Money, Happy Money by Ken Honda, um, a bunch of other books. And what you just described, I'm like, oh my God. I, and by the way, I can't wait to read that book. Like, I love books about money and I'm excited. Do you have it on an audiobook? Because that's. I'm re- I actually, to the sides of me right now are curtains that are hung, like big, hefty. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm for the audiobook in here. I actually oh. hired a coach to help me with the audiobook because in my past, my audiobooks, I speak so damn fast. And uh, I'm really gonna have like, dude, I gotta tell you, like McConaughey just set a new bar on what an audiobook could be if you're oh, listening. Crushed. So, crushed. So like I'm inspired and I'm like, I'm gonna take time and make this a, a, a piece of art. I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel each emotion and think through the sentences before I say them. So I'm dedicating the next several weeks to that process so it's not done yet because it's just it's i don't want it to be like my uh killing sacred cows is rushed i I look forward to redoing that audiobook down the road i had two days to do it and i just spoke really fast and someone once said in a review does this guy not know how to read and i was like shit that's fair that was like not my best read you know it's it's hard to read your own book on audio it's harder than i thought yeah I, I would assume that, you know, so it's funny when I did my book, I was like, oh, my, oh, I hate, by the way, at that point, I hated audiobooks because I'd lose track. And I'm like, I got to get someone that's really good. So I hired like a Juilliard trained actor to do it, which, and now after I, you know, I've been on doing audio stuff now for three years and everyone's like, why don't you read your own book, Darius? I'm like, you know, you just inspired me. I'm like, I think I got to do a reread. And uh, but to your point, McConaughey, so I had one of my golden rules and I'm glad you said what you said, because I think everyone needs to hear this. The fact that Garrett actually has that thoughtfulness will make me, everyone want to listen to that book 10 times more because a lot of these people, like, I don't know if you're, what's a power and force? Have you ever, you know, that book? 
Power versus the, force. Hawkins. Yeah, pow, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Have you listened to that? That I want to shoot myself listening to that guy. Yeah, you got to <laughs> listen to his in the world of but not of it, where he's just giving a speech. Reading the book is that's rough. You just got to read instead of listen. Um, and by the way, there's another book, Violet Davis's book, is next okay. level. I mean, because oh, really? you know she's a winner. And dude, her book's heart wrenching because her childhood was insane. But like, really, her ability to do a book, I was like, I'm because that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm going. What are the standards out there of books that are just great by the author that read them? And and those two are the standard in, in, in my opinion so far. I'm going to throw one more at you because okay. I from that before I say it, I'm going to say what a, I said. Look, McConaughey won an Oscar. Okay, Viola Davis Oscar, right? If they win an Oscar, that means they're pretty good at reading scripts, right? So if they're pretty good at reading scripts, they're probably going to be pretty good at reading their book. That's, so I came to that conclusion. If you want an Oscar, they're probably, it's probably a pretty good listen. Uh, Will by Will Smith, which, right. which is like, especially if you're 45, you grew up with like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like the, so the, I'm going to spoil a little bit. The first half of the book, I loved. Second half of the book, I'm just going to say that when he slapped Chris Rock in the mouth, I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense. Like, I was like, seriously, watch it. Like the whole world was shocked. I'm like, mm, that's about right. I didn't even like question it, like even one bit. But that's a, but he won an Oscar, right? So yeah. well, w- actually, he won an Oscar that night <laughs> when he. So uh, great. That's a really that. An acting coach that's worked with a lot of these guys. Yeah, I hired Larry Moss to work with me on the book. And okay, like, and he's talking about in this paragraph. Where when you wrote this, where were you at? Like when you what you're talking about? What were you feeling? And like. I, why are you not enunciating? I want to hear the enunciate. Why didn't you pause here? So he's been phenomenal in, in walking through it with me. And so here's what I'm going to try, Darius. I'm going to read a paragraph a couple times, put myself in the place, put the book down, and then just say the paragraph. Oh, so it's, it's how I would talk, not how I write. And so it'll be mostly the same book, but a little bit unique, hopefully. That, that, hey, 40,000 words that way, that is, that's a lot, you know? That's a lot. Dude, I mean, but, uh, is if you get like, but like in, you know, greatness, like it's not just a task. When life in my, when I look at my mistakes of the past, I wanted to get a lot done. So yeah. I, let's check that off. Let's get that done. And art doesn't work that way. Right. It's what can I dedicate my life to? How could I immerse myself in this comedy special and give everything I possibly have, every ounce to it? And I think that like when we see someone that does something so excellent, like, I mean, whether you're into basketball or not, dude, what LeBron is doing this year is so next level. 21 years in the NBA and he just won MVP of the in-season tournament. And is like the, the bottom line is that's because that dude is taking care of his body. He's minding what he eats. He's getting the work done. He's working out when it's the off season, like Tom Brady. Like what we don't see is what it takes to have something like that happen. Doesn't come from being busy. It becomes from being so deliberate. And I find myself at times allowing that busyness to come into my life when I can create the space. So I have enough time to write. So I have enough time to record or connect with someone or I have the time to like rehearse. Those are the things that matter. And like, dude, I wrote this theatrical keynote. In this theatrical keynote, I act out four characters. I play the guitar twice and take people through exercises. I do spoken word because everybody wants a 45-year-old white man to do spoken word, obviously. Clearly. (laughs) Clearly. But like the amount of rehearsal I've done on that is more than all my other speeches combined. 
So I've been speaking since I was 15 years old. I gave my first speech. I didn't give a lot of speeches until really 2008 is when it was like really common because I, my book came out. But even I have tape of me back in 2004 giving speeches. I spent more time on it because I was willing to dedicate to the craft because it spoke to my soul because it's, I was like, I want to do something at a dream one night. In that dream, there was a slender figure all dressed in black in like a Broadway set, just doing a one man show. And I was directing, but then all of a sudden I was the guy on the stage. Then all of a sudden I was the person in the crowd and I woke up and I turned them up. I'm like, I'm going to do a one man show. I'm going to do a, a, because actually the first time I ever spoke at the, the GOT gathering of the Titans, Bo Eason was there speaking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, and I'm on the bus with him. I'm like, what do you do? He goes, I do a one man show. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, it was so, uh, my, the ignorance was, was huge. And then he got up and did it. And it was amazing. And so after that dream, I called Bo, because that's my first step. If I'm inspired, like deeply inspired, I go, who do I know that could be a co-creator? Who can I yeah. call right now to move into action? I called Bo. He's like, here's my acting coach. Here's my uh, movement coach. Awesome. Then I called Michael Port. And I said, would you direct my one man show? And he said, yes. And he brought in a screenwriter. And so it was like, it's co-creation first, it's collaboration second. Well, really it's delegation to offload things off of your plate, right? So that you have the space. And here's the thing that really sabotages most people. People are addicted to escapism. When we right. do something out of the ordinary, escapisms come in and say, you're tired. You need more sleep. You know what? You, you, get, you gotta get caught up on that TV series. You know what? The garage isn't organized. You know what? You got to go do like it's just the most insane thoughts where we convince ourselves we're busy so we don't have to face our insecurities or we don't have to take a leap of faith into the unknown territory. We're all but for me, when the stakes are high in that unknown, unknown territory, like when I walked off the stage after my first one man show or not my first time doing a comedy set. Dude, I, there's no drugs that have ever made me feel that good. There's no, like, it was just so amazing. And the energy at dinner that night, bringing a bunch of friends. And then the first time I did my one man show, this dude came up and hugged me and started crying and told me about like something you'd never told another human because it's so vulnerable by doing, you know, the one man show, I'm sharing my worst moments in my life and what it takes to overcome those. So like, fuck man, that's, that's what excites me. Like I want to be an artist that makes money, not an entrepreneur that destroys art, you know? And so yeah. like, I'm trying to find that balance of being an entrepreneur that's an artist instead of the entrepreneur that has an excuse not to create the art because it's not profitable enough. Yeah, man. You're so inspiring me right now. Oh man. I, I, I wish this show could go longer. I got to join Justin for his thing in five minutes. So I want to do right. the greatness question. And then uh, I want to show people where they can hook up and get all your stuff. So Greatness question, Garrett, is what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? Really that formula, co-creation, elimination, delegation, and collaboration, right? That's, that's the key. The thing that really helped me most is I married well. I married the person that supports my dreams and is really willing to let me go out on a limb and try the things because she's the one that said, let's go to Italy for a summer. I wouldn't have spoke that in existence, but she did. So she yeah. helped me break those chains of scarcity. I love that, man. Gosh, dang it. Um, man, if you come to Austin and I go to Utah, we got to hang out. Actually, I know you come to Austin because you come to Justin stuff. So I, I got to I'm going to be there in February. I'm speaking. I'm doing the one man show. Maybe you can come check it out. 
Dude, I want. I, I'm if I'm in town, I, I'm there. So um, I will connect with your team offline. Uh, let's pl- let's get everyone lined up with where do they get the money unmasked? Where do they get the books? Where do they come see you? Yeah. You name it, and let's connect people right now. DerekGunderson.com. You can buy my books there. Um, I am money doesn't come out until January, so I think you get that at Barnes and Noble on the pre order right now. Um, and yeah, there's a Money Unmasked website as well, but just go to garrettgutterson.com, check out my blog. I think it's called My Musings. Check out the persona quiz. You have to scroll down to find it, but take that quiz. Find out about your money persona. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. I had, a, I had a blast. This was a lot of fun. Garrett, man, you are seriously an inspiration. I love the, the artistry and just like the attention and being everything that you are. It's like makes me just light up, man. So, so much uh, gratitude from here at the Greatness Machine. Appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, man. All right, everybody. Peace out. Go check out Garrett's stuff, all his uh, good goodness that he's bringing into the world. And uh, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Until next time, peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.